joining us is Stefan Molyneux, live and in the flesh uh, on this Monday, the 20th day of November 2017, to cover the waterfront. And, and let's just continue on the time we have left in this short segment. If we were watching this like a football game or like a battle between Lord Wellington and Napoleon, I mean, whatever the case would be, where are we at this point? And why do the Republican leadership want to be patted on the head by mainstream media when it's a dying anachronism that, that they should be running from? Why? I, I mean, I think it's because they've been mummified up there and they've all been selected previously because they were such yes men and because they don't think and because they really are tied into the matrix. Well, it's uh, in general, it's a it's a crime gang uh, in, in Congress. <clears throat> they do things that are immoral and horrible. And I have a, a pretty strong inkling and feeling, Alex, that we're going to see happened to Congress what recently happened to Hollywood in terms of the blowout of sexual harassment allegations and probably worse. So they are in for the full Weinstein treatment, I think, coming up. There is rumblings on Twitter that this is all coming, coming because, of course, they've been paying off. What is it, $15 million in slush money taxpayer In over 250 cases. Quiet. Yeah. And I want to know who these people are. As an American voter, you should really want to know who these people are. Who are you voting for? Who has stuff on them? Do you think that a, a congressperson can be independent if they've been subject to this kind of star chamber review, if they've been subject to allegations that are paid off in terms of sexual harassment or worse? They're not independent. People got stuff on them. Can they vote according to their independent conscience if they could be blackmailed with this stuff? I don't know. I doubt it. So we really need to see this kind of stuff. And uh, all of these people acted in these terrible ways with no idea that people like you and I were going to ride up on our little ponies of truth and start shooting the flares of illumination into the sky. So all of this is old school behavior. It's horse and buggy crap without the alternative media to hold their feet to the fire, to keep speaking truth to power. These guys would have got away with it and imagine how much they would have got away with it if Hillary was in power. Well, that's some footage I've got coming up just in the next segment. We have Hillary supporters that are book signing, attacking our female reporter, grabbing her mic, hissing, screaming. And these are like 40, 56-year-old women hissing and, and going crazy and acting like animals. It's like the left has degenerated so much. They are terribly lazy. They are like uh, Olympic swimmers who've spent their entire life training swimming with the current with a jetpack and a motorboat and water skis. I mean, because they've had the mainstream media on their side, they've had uh, government schools on their side, they've had academia on their side, they've had Hollywood on their side. They really haven't had to formulate a really good argument against strong and rigorous intellectual opposition for the last 50 odd years. The last time someone came up with a good argument against them was Joseph McCarthy. And look what happened to him. They had enough control of the media to, media to destroy that man's life and to cover up all of the communists who were in the state department and other areas of government. So they're lazy. And the people who've been swimming against the current, we've really sharpened our intellectual weapons and we are tanned, fit, rest, relaxed with Bruce Lee bellies and ready to rock and roll. So we are unfortunately outclassing them enormously. And when you think you're all that and then you run up against the real opponent, the inevitable response is a kind of strangled panic. That's it. I mean, they're like drowning rats. It's what it looks like, just flailing around, squeaking, and pissing themselves. And I don't know where it's going now as they rampage and try to stop recovery, as the EU implodes, 
And as this battle is joined, Stefan, I mean, what would you call this time historically? It is a time of the first potential pushback against the spread of state force and state power in the history of the world. Somebody asked me the other day, Alex, it's an interesting question. He, they said, have you ever noticed or known of a country that has turned back from ever increasing state power without going through some massive collapse and some massive godforsaken Venezuela style, you know, hunting pigeons in the town square and rats in the sewer, fundamental decay. And it's really hard to think of one. But but we do have this conversation, we have this capacity to reach the masses, absent of gatekeepers. We can bypass everyone who's supposed to keep the truth from the public. So right now we are facing an ever increasing uh, escalation of state power. There are the nationalistic movements, the anti-EU movements, the anti-massive uh, police state movements that are going on throughout the West, personified with you know Nigel Farage and with, with Trump and with other people and so on. So there is this pushback, never in history has it ever been successful. Basically, people have had to twiddle, twiddle their thumbs, cry their tears and break their hearts as society slides off the abyss and then cross their fingers that in a couple of hundred years, we can get civilization back. Now, for the first time, we have the capacity to put the brakes on the inevitable tsunami of escalating state power. And really, if you have the capacity to do that, that's all you should be doing these days. So not only do the tyrants have technology to manipulate, we now have technology that keeps boomeranging back on them and their plans don't go the way they want more and more. And now humanity is learning from its mistakes. And most of the so-called minorities I talk to are not racist idiots. They know about the manipulation. It's fake polls. It's disinfo, just like during the election. That's why they're panicking. They know they're losing control. Well, what people need are simple facts. And what we hope, I think, through providing simple facts and reason and evidence to people as a whole, is we can get them to have their love overcome their fear. This is going to sound all kinds of hallmarks sort of style squishy, but I think but it's, it's really, really important. There are people who, there is the left, and then there are the people who are the scared of the left. And those are the majority Republicans, you know, prior to Trump and the never Trumpers and so on. So there are other people on the left who openly admit that they'll use any satanic method that they can through their Satan Prince Saul Alinsky. They've been very honest about this. They'll use whatever power, whatever manipulations they can. They have no standards just to gain power. So there's the left, the hard left. And then there are, there are those who are scared they're a power, of the left. They're a power cult. Yeah. They're power cults. And so those, the left want uh, our blood, the left want our subjugation, and those who are scared of the left are hoping to appease them to buy a decade or two of peace. Well, the decade or two was a decade or two ago, uh, and that no more appeasement is going to work. It's gonna all happen within our lifetime. So I want to bring people to love freedom more than they fear the abusers, more than they fear the people who can harm you, more than they fear the abuse of the media or of social media, more than they fear uh, what they can lose from people attacking them unjustly. And we see people, you know, Trump waded through endless accusations of abuse and racism and sexism. We've got Roy Moore, who's not backing down or backing out uh, of what I think are unfounded allegations against him. We have to show people how love can overcome fear, how love of freedom, love of the future, love of our civilization, love of our history, love of our children. That is the only power that can overcome the fear that will get us all plowed under in the usual socialist expansion in history. You're absolutely right. You've always got these socialist Jacobin Illuminati expansionists who are the opposite of eliminating people to the counterfeit of of, of you know what you call the Enlightenment and, and Francis Bacon and all the rest of it. And they are just dedicated, they'll tell you, to dominating you. They don't even want a civilization. They want to gouge our eyes out, turn our skulls into goblets, 
and then drink up all the wine and sit on top of a pile of skulls and not even care that more wine doesn't come because they burn down the vineyards. It's the same thing we see in Africa, killing all the white farmers. It's just a power lust to have that minute of power gouging somebody's eyes out, even though you're going to starve to death in two weeks. Once somebody has admitted to you, Alex, that they have no principles, then there is no end to their escalation of destruction. And we've seen this. We've seen this at the French Revolution, where you have thousands of priests and nuns dragged out of monasteries and churches and chapels and eyes gouged out, throats slit, heads cut off uh, in the streets. Uh, we saw this in Cambodia, where the first thing they did was target anybody with an intelligence uh, above 100 and arguments uh, above medievalism. They dragged them out into the cities. They forced them to become farmers. Everyone starves to death. We saw this in the Ukraine under Stalin and the Holodomor, when they collectivized all the farms, gave all of the farm machinery to incompetent people, killed off all of the rich and competent farmers, and then millions and millions of people starved to death. We saw this in China, tens of millions of people slaughtered. We saw this in North Korea, where it's basically one giant open air prison camp. There is no end to the escalation of the aggression they will use. This is why we have to not just oppose the evil that is coming, but show the light of love and reason and, and happiness and joy. And that is the light by which we must drive back the darkness. Because there's an old saying that has really stuck with me from Nietzsche, where he said, when you confront monsters, when you face down monsters, be careful that you yourself does not become a monster. And we must oppose the evil, but guide ourselves by the good That's as right. much as possible. Because when you stare into the abyss, a lot of times you become the abyss. Stefan Molyneux, I've been asking a lot of questions, and i got a ton of news here I want to go over with you. But what else is on your radar screen you want to impart to the viewers? Yeah, I was thinking about this, you know, calling the police on words that people find offensive and so on. And I was just thinking over the break, Alex, you know what I, I really, really want? And I think I speak for a lot of people in this. I want a little bit of space. I want a little bit of breathing room. I feel like we're all kind of getting squished up together with this political correctness. You know, it's like if I was doing the interview and I like I had the camera like right up here, be, be a little little claustrophobic, little little bit of an invasion in personal space. And I really, really want some space. I want like if people want to change their agenda. Just don't force me to pay for it. If people are irresponsible with their sexuality, just don't force me to pay for it. If people would rather play video games and learn some job skill, let them live with the lower wages. Let's have a little bit of space. Uh, let's have a little bit of, of personal uh, privacy for, for our money, for our thoughts, for our opinions. If you disagree with someone in the public square and it really bothers you, go engage them. Mind to mind, verbal battle to verbal battle. Don't call the police on a word you find upsetting. That is very claustrophobic. And that's saying that we don't have any personal space anymore. We don't have any privacy for our wallet. We don't have any privacy for our communications. We don't have any privacy for being offensive. And who is who on earth is to say that the person who is the most offensive now might not be the person who gives us the biggest moral breakthrough in the future? Slavery, anti-slavery was highly offensive to people when it first came out. Who on earth has the omniscience? to know that what is offensive now might not be moral tomorrow. Well, the old left has said, hey, I, I may disagree with you, but I'll fight the death for you to say it because political speech and unpopular speech is the most protected. I mean, again, folks, this is such a war on words. It's crazy. What do you think? Well, this is what happens when you get multiculturalism 
often, so often, Alex, devolves into multi-legalism or multi-rulesism. You know, multicultural is kind of sold like, well, you can get a wide variety of delectable treats on Main Street because there's going to be lots of different kinds of ethnic restaurants. And oh, if you're really into Natasha Atlas, you'll be able to appreciate her music even more. And it's all this softy gooey, you know, there'll be different songs, different music, different uh, food and so on. And that's great. And that's how it's kind of sold to you. But what actually happens is you end up with different rules for different groups. And they start off as ostracism punishment rules, and then they escalate to banning on social media rules, and then they go all the way to legal rules in society. And you end up with different rules for different groups, no objective standards. You go from multiculturalism to multilegalism, where protected groups have different sentences, protected groups have different rules, and you know the N-word can be used by rappers, but not by anyone else, and this word can be used by this group, but if this group uses it, it's horrible and opposing. You get this fragmented, broken mirror it's total of discrimination. methodologies, and it breaks society apart. It's total discrimination, too. It creates new classes, as you just said, and they know what they're doing. This incredible balkanization, which results in the self-policing of people and the, the, the hostile opposition to other groups. Because if you have to self-police all the time, if you're a white male, say for instance, you're not, into any, you're not in any protected group. So many white males, I just did this video on masculinity as a whole, and so many white males are feeling like, well, I can't tell you this, and I can't, I can't apply for this job because it says, are you part of a minority or are you a woman when you apply for this job? And I know if I don't check that off, I'm never getting to the interview phase, and I can't say this, and everyone's gonna attack me for that. And what happens is then you see these other groups who seem to be getting away with astonishingly huge breaks in these rules. And there's this frustration with your own inhibited state. And then there's this mounting resentment against other people who flout these rules with impunity. And this is how they set us against each other. Create these rules, have them apply. Exactly, it's meant to create to these, race war. 500 to these. It's and meant then to we create end up racial division. And fighting each other. It's meant to create racial division. Exactly, the end game is all of us hating each other. And it's such a shame because if we all agree to submit to reason and evidence, we can have very positive and productive and enjoyable discussions. But we're turning into, it's like a science conference where you've got tarot cards and voodoo as to whose conjecture or hypothesis becomes validated. No, we need reason and evidence because if we simply bow to political correctness, we are going to tear ourselves apart as a society. And those of us who can see the tears coming are desperately trying to sew them back together. But there's lots of people out there with scimitars just slashing away at the entire tapestry and fabric of what holds us together as societies, and we must do everything we can to prevent that from happening, because what's on the other side of that tapestry is a whole lot of blood and bones. A hundred percent. And you notice, for a long time, the Hollywood elite, the comedians, they were exempt. They could tell the dirty jokes. They could just say the racial jokes. Now they can't either, and they're not liking it. I mean, this is such a prison that's been built, and it's like a self perpetuating system that just gets more loony and more crazy. I mean, I think it's destined to fail. Well, we do have some bright spots in all of this, and this all comes out of the alternative media. The left has traditionally used allegations of sexual misconduct to uh, undermine and cripple their political opponents. We see that, of course, happening in Alabama. The plus side is since now there's an alternative media to bring up Bill Clinton, they're now on the left throwing the Clintons under the bus so that they can retain this weapon of sexual allegations uh, against the Republicans or non-leftists. And anything which diminishes the power of the Clintons in the public sphere, I find it really hard to think of as, as in any way bad. We're really right. I mean, we're not just here saying all of this. 
It's really happening. They're going more insane. What is the limit on the rotting intellectual fruit that is the power cult that's modern liberalism and the decaying Republican establishment? Because as you said, they were just a bunch of lazy ne'er-do-wells who thought they were in power as culture kings imposing their will on everybody when really they're just a bunch of camp followers of a cold-blooded corporate takeover system. As they realize that they've not in power anymore, those of us that are libertarian or freedom-based, we're just, maybe we've got them off our back a little, but we understand it's not like feeling powerful because our ideas are being a little bit represented. It's like a desperate beachhead hoping we can turn the tide against these mentally ill people. I mean, they're the most depressed. They're the most pathetic. You get Facebook documents where the executives say, these liberals are pathetic, servile, deranged, depressed people. Let's keep them more depressed and suck them dry. I mean, it's so cold-blooded, Hillary calling them losers in their mother's basements and how much she hates her constituents but they don't care they still march on worshiping her but then donna brazil starts to wake up and others start to wake up that their brand's dying but i think it's too little too late this is where i see things alex we are in a house the sun is rising the vampires are beating down the door but we still have to invite them in if we don't invite them in poof they turn into ash from the rising sun. They have missed the opportunity to crush us. You know, you've been doing this longer than I have. I've been doing it for about 11 years in the public sphere, many, many years before that in a private sphere. Back in the day, they tried to smash me down. Back in the day, and continually, they try to smash you down. But it's too late. We have become too big. There are too many interconnected people. There are too many networks. There are too many freedom lovers who are supporting each other. Now, if they try and smash people down, all they do is raise the profile. In other words, what I'm saying is the Liberty virus, my friends, has gone airborne. It can no longer be contained. And that means that it's a wonderful opportunity for everyone out there. Please do not view the liberation of Western civilization as a spectator sport. Do not sit there passively in your chair, thumbing your remote and hoping that other people are gonna save the world for you. We have passed the tipping point, the Overton window, has gone so far now that what was impossible before has become commonplace now. What was radical before has become commonplace now. So I invite and urge everyone, everyone, do not have this incredibly powerful moment in time be nothing more than something you look at and are passively hoping that other people will do for you. Get up, exactly. get involved, support, start something, write something. It's a webcam and a microphone. You can do that for 50 bucks. Really dig deep. Find a way to talk passionately about freedom. Don't let and them truth conquer you. Don't, exactly. The powers. Don't let them conquer you. And don't let other people save you. You know, there's an old, uh, it was a poster when I was a kid that was around. And it was a kid looking at his father after the Second World War. And this, this was during the Second War. And the kid was saying, Daddy, what did you do? in the Great War, and the kid, the, the father was like shamefaced and looking down, because I don't know, I guess he didn't really, really do much of anything. This is easier, it's much easier than trench warfare. You know, we, we know when he's asking us to snort mustard gas into our lungs or, you know, have shells barrage down on our heads, at least yet. So it's much easier. This is the easiest fight that has ever had for the greatest stakes in human history. And please, please, I beg people on my knees, do not let this opportunity for heroism pass you by. Self-esteem, self-respect is something that you really have to 
fight for. You, it, it's like health. It doesn't just happen to you. You have to take active steps to have pride in yourself. And there's no greater gift to yourself than acting in a courageous, moral manner against vicious and immoral people. So everybody has this opportunity. The barrier to entry has never been lower. The stakes have never been higher. And the fight, frankly, has never been more fun. Join in. That's right. And again, I don't like to demonize our enemies because that's that's something that means I've got a crutch and I want to feel elitist. I mean, uh, you know, those of us that have natural compass know that putting somebody else down doesn't make us bigger. But you have to recognize at any Hillary event or any Democrat event, th these aren't just Antifa events. These are gibbering, hateful people that can hardly talk. And they are lunatics, and I, and it's getting worse, and it, it is a mass form of psychosis. And, of course, that's been proven in psychology that you don't just have individual psychosis. Humans are designed that usually somebody in the group must know the right way. So they're following a bad leader, and they won't admit they've been wrong, and they won't admit things are serious. It's like the Germans still thought they were going to win when the Russians were a mile away from the Reich right. Chancellor, and Hitler still thought he was going to win until two days before. And it just shows... I kind of got to give it to them, though. They won't give up, but but it's not like we picked a few. They're all like this. What happened to them? Well, there are people, of course, who use false ethics to gather power. And there are other people, though, who have good intentions, who simply have the wrong information. So I put, Twittered something this morning, which I'll mention briefly here, Alex, which is, you know, people care about poor people in the third world. Now, in the past, when Western companies went to the third world and scraped up a bunch of resources and took them out of the third world, people said, well, that's wretched, terrible imperialism. OK, I understand that case. But now in the West, a lot of countries in the West are scooping up the smartest people from the third world and bringing them into the West. Now, intelligence is one of the greatest natural resources, along with empathy, that the world has. Exactly. So how is it terrible to strip mine natural resources from the third world in the past, but now taking the intelligent people, the most competent and educated people out of the third world, thus damning those countries to ever decay? It's a total brain drain. How is that not equivalent? Stay there. I want to do five more minutes because I noticed this. Even when I was a little kid in the country, people were smart, they were cool, they were good looking. Now I go to the countryside where a lot of my family's from and it looks like Beverly Hillbillies and it's just cable TV or satellite TV and people, because it's like the brains left and it's the same thing with the third world. It just wipes it out. We'll be right back. That's a key point he just made. What made the Western expansion across the United States so important was you had dozens of different factions, just in the tribes alone, but you had the Spanish, you had the Russians, you had the British, you had the French, and you had all these other groups coming into the wild, wild West that was 95% empty. You had the tribes jockeying to get different Westerners to fight on their side. It was barbarous, but it was also empowering for humans and, 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 and that's why all the invention and things came out of it, because we're meant to be trailblazing. We're meant to be pushed. And you read the annals of the people on wagon trains and all of it, even though they had kids dying and everything, it was invigorating. It was real. You walk around in a rich neighborhood. You walk around in a poor neighborhood. People are like zombies on their smartphones. They look unconscious. They look ugly. Even if a woman looks like she once had attractive features, they look like zombies. It's the television, it's the culture, it's the sedentary lifestyle, it's all of it. And then you look at the brain drain out of the countryside in America, and, and, and you know, I don't care if it's black people, white people, they all look different. They look like they had their souls sucked out, unless there's still some of the people still working on the land doing it. A lot of them are just kind of on welfare, doing little jobs, living in trailers, watching TV all day. They don't have a purpose. 
And then you see the attack on the ethos, the attack on the West, the attack on that because it was a consciousness, it was a culture, and instead they've given us this that's total death. We got three minutes left, Stefan Molyneux, but the, the globalist brain drain from the third world is just like from the countryside to the cities. And the globalists then never even put enough money into the countries like Apple to let the Chinese have a livable wage like Henry Ford so they can buy the stinking iPhone. But as long as they say they're liberal and virtue signal, it's okay when they're the most anti-human, cold-blooded people admitting they don't want industrialization for the Chinese, for the Africans. They're just scum. They know they're scum. Go ahead. So the most important thing I think in this area, Alex, is something called the Pareto Principle, which everyone needs to become familiar with. And the Pareto Principle goes something like this. The square root of the number of people produces half the value of that group. So if you've got nine people, three people are producing half the value, right? If you have 100 people, 10 people, if you have 10,000 people in a company, 100 people are producing half the value. Now, if you have a company where smart people start to leave for whatever reason, then the smartest people leave, it means that the company productivity goes down enormously. If you get the top 100 people leaving, okay, you still have 9,900 workers in a 10,000 worker company, but half your productivity is gone. This is why people become rich and other people middle class, other people are poor, there's a bell curve of productivity. Think of the third world. Western civilization rests on the brains, hearts, minds, and muscle of maybe 2,000 people, maybe, maybe 2,000 people. Who, who innovated, who reasoned, who took risks, who scientifically, philosophically, economically moved us all forward. In the third world, there are a small number of people who can reform the third world and make it into a better place. Now, if the West comes along with the giant immigration suction machine, hoovers those people up from the third world, then if the top 1% of smart people from the third world end up in the first world, what happens? The third world becomes catastrophically worse. And that means the next tier of people are desperate to get out and make it to the first world. And then, and then there's a meltdown. So it's like the a third tier of people, and we end up with a complete disaster and everyone migrating to Europe, the destruction of the welfare state, the undermining of Western civilization, all because the West could not resist the temptation of having instant taxpayers hoovered in from the third world and gave up on having children of their own. Absolutely beautifully said. I could not, I mean, that's it. And it's, it's designed to melt down. And you read the globalist actuaries, they know they're doing this and, and then plan with AI and stuff to then control the implosion, which they're going to use to take over. This, this has got to be stopped. And the only way to stop it is to defend your own culture and reason and speak. And not adopt globalism, reject it. Rejecting globalism is accepting life. Accepting globalism is submitting to death. Uh, powerful. Uh, love the new book, my friend, Stefan Molyneux. The art uh, uh, of the deals out there, but he's got his new book, The Art of the Argument. Find it. Hey, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you.